Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my guest today is perhaps one of the most visible and recognizable women in America. Having been on national television for more than 40 years, gracing the covers of more than 60 magazines and books, and as a breast cancer survivor herself, she has been an advocate for women's health and wellness through it all. It is such a pleasure to welcome the self-described eternal optimist, Joan London. Joan, welcome to my podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with you. All right, true confessions, Joan. When I was leaving the teaching profession and just getting into television, I wanted to be you. I thought you had the best job in the world co-anchoring Good Morning America. And when people asked me, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be Joan London. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I just saw a little clip the other day on Facebook, I guess, YouTube. And it was a, just a little clip from a show. I don't even know what show she was on, but it was Oprah Winfrey talking about her early days and that all she wanted to be was Joan London. <laughs> Oh, now you've had two of us. I think she actually shot a little higher than Um, that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's great to have you here today. And your career has truly been one that has gone from one chapter to the next, using all of your life experience to become a successful journalist, a host, a motivational speaker, advocate, and author of 12 books now. I'm curious, growing up in Northern California, did you always know that this was what you wanted to do with your life? Where did all that passion come from? That's not what I thought I would do with my life. My dad was a doctor. He was a cancer surgeon. Everywhere we would go, people would embrace him. Everywhere. You know, thank you for saving my wife's life, whatever it would be. And to me, that was the best thing possible. And I always thought I would grow up to be a doctor. My dad was then killed in in our private plane coming back from a cancer convention when I was only 13. So by the time I went through high school and then college, and I worked for a very short stint right before going away to college in a hospital that he had actually founded. And I found out really quick that my (laughs) career would not involve scalpels or shots or stitches of any kind. And it was just one night at a family dinner. We had a friend over he was an ad salesman at the local TV station. And he just mentioned, you know, hey, you know, if you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life, you really ought to look into TV news. To which you would say, what? <laughs> I mean, there really weren't women on TV news. There right. were a handful. And he said, no, seriously, the, the women's movement is going on. This was like 1974, 75. Yeah. They're like suing, you know, the New York Times and the FCC. They're trying to get everywhere to hire more women because it was a total man's world and they're really fcc's putting a lot of pressure on local stations to make these hires and you know you ought to look into it that was one of those things that you could just let that go but the next morning i called the station and i asked to speak to the news director he told me this guy had told me his name i got an appointment and i went in (laughs) with all my questions and you know, after about five minutes, he says, well, clearly, you know how to write an interview. And he took me into the studio and he auditioned me, which was like so exciting because I used <laughs> to that every night. And he was super nice and complimentary and said, I think you could really be good at this. But there was no job. I was leaving the station and the weatherman who had been back behind the set, you know, drawing with a big black magic marker. Nothing was generated by a computer, drawing the highs and the lows on a big plastic, you know, map, he followed me out and said, you know, 
I saw your audition and there are a lot of stations around the country that are starting to put weather girls on. I'd like to make you Sacramento's first weather girl, which frankly sounded completely uninteresting to me, the weather. <laughs> but thank goodness at that age, I at 24 years old, I knew an opportunity when I heard it. And I said, yes. And that, you know, quickly progressed from a trainee position to being on air and then from a weather reporter to consumer reporter to anchoring in a short, like two year span. That's fantastic. Unbelievable. Your 12th book, most recent book, and I'm proud to say and share with everybody on the New York Times bestseller list as well. <laughs> Yay, congratulations. And I'm reading it now. It is called, Why Did I Come Into This Room? <laughs> a Candid Conversation About Aging. It is funny, it is insightful, it is full of information that most people really don't wanna talk about. Why did you yeah. wanna write this book? Because nobody likes to talk about a lot of these issues of aging that we all go through. But because they're somehow taboo subjects, which to me is weird, we all overshare like crazy <laughs> on social, on social media. media. <laughs> but why can't we talk about these issues, yeah. whether it's not being able to go to sleep at night, why? Do we gain weight faster? Why is it so much harder to lose weight? You know, why is, do you have a, a weak pelvic floor? Why is there a <laughs> loss of libido, forgetfulness? I mean, it goes on and on. You're expanding waistline. These things shouldn't be taboo mm. for a couple of reasons. Number one, it leaves any given woman experiencing them to not fully understand that these are natural biological changes that happen with each decade, leaving them feeling like, wow, there's a lot of things wrong with me. Like my body's breaking down. And that then leads you to say, I'm getting old. I'm not as desirable anymore. I'm not as sexy. I'm not as capable. And therefore, I shouldn't expect big things in my life anymore. And that happens to too many women. So I felt it needed to be put out there by somebody that can kind of relate I don't know, girl to girl, whatever. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, I wrote it in like the most personal terms. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> and I mean, I thought I'll just throw it all out there. I mean, I think on one page says a lesson in leaking. Yes. <laughs> I mean, peasing, as I think you yes, called it. <laughs> peasing. That was another good one. You know, when we get older, we can do three things at once, laugh, mm -hmm. sneeze, and pee. I wanted it to be a conversation starter so that we could all talk about these things, realize that it's not just happening to us. Because unfortunately, they are kind of embarrassing and they're also worrisome. And yet women tend not even to talk to their own doctors about it because I've asked around a lot. My gynecologist said, mm-mm, every woman will come in here, sit down and I say, how are you doing? Fine. Fine, fine, fine. fine. They'll talk about their family, whatever. And then when I ask them a question, I push them because I know their age. I say, well, do you have a problem with this? And then they'll say, oh my gosh, all of that's happening to me. So why don't we just all talk about it and like get over it? And I knew I had to do it with a sense of humor. I started writing the book and decided I'm going to do this like as if I was really just talking to someone. And I started putting humor into it. And sometimes I would stop and say, can I say that? <laughs> oh, what the heck? Go ahead. <laughs> oh, you say a lot in this book. I, I have to tell you. One of my favorite stories, though, in the book is when you're, you're in the Sahara Desert with your daughter and you go into this Bedouin tent and you meet the matriarch of this family. Yep. And through a translator, you're trying to inquire, how old is this woman? Tell us what happened. 
Well, it was so cool. Like the driver, you know, guide interpreter just pulled over the side of the road and asked these sheep herders if we could go into their tent, which is where <laughs> they all lived. It was a big tent. They had no clocks, no, needless to say, no TV, no phone, no, any, nothing electric, nothing at all. And at one point, I just couldn't help myself because she was like weathered from the Sahara Desert, you know. I had no idea how old she might be. And I was curious. I said, how old are you? And she looked at me puzzled and said, I don't know. So you don't know how old you are? I said, we don't have, you know, anything to tell us the day we were born. We don't have calendars. And as I got back in that car, I never stopped thinking about it, mm -hmm. that she had no concept of how old she was and how freeing that must be. And when the seasons were going to change and she was going to take down that tent and take all the little pots and pans and roll them all up and put them on top of a donkey and walk a hundred miles, she would never say, gee, am I too old to do this? Mm -hmm. Or I'll do this just like a 20 year old. Like that wouldn't even be in her thinking. Yeah. And when I came back, I, I just started thinking about how married we are yeah. in our society to age, you know, to that birthday every year, celebrate that birthday, get that card. I think that if you get so married to your age, that there is a great danger in that mm. because you'll say, oh my gosh, I'm 50, you know, I'm over that mark. Oh my gosh, I'm 60. And then the next thought is, you know, that how much you're aging. And when you start thinking that yourself, when you start saying to yourself, oh man, am I old? Pretty soon other people will be treating you that way. And unfortunately in our society, there is definitely ageism. I start the whole book out. The scene is I'm doing an interview on the phone with a guy from Hollywood Reporter, a reporter from, from there, for a series that I'm doing for the Today Show because I'm a special correspondent for them now. And it was on the, the benefit of social connection and friends and how important that is as you age. And the first question out of this young whippersnapper's mouth was, Gee, Miss London, what's it going to be like going back to morning television as a senior citizen? I swear, oh, I almost <laughs> fell off my chair. I mean, yeah, I, I, by definition, I fit that category, but I just never even thought of myself as a senior citizen because I guess I have in my mind what a senior citizen is. Sure. And it's not anybody like me. Uh-uh, <laughs> uh-uh. It's, it's so interesting when we're kind of boxed into that ageism that you talked yeah. about. You admit to not being a fan of birthdays. I, I happen to love birthdays personally. Oh, really? But, yeah, I do. I do. I'm like, I want to celebrate that I'm this age. Well, that's actually reason. a good way. Do you have a do you have a um, a number in your head? Yes, and I know your number. Your number's 45, I've right? I always thought I yeah. I look in the mirror, I see a 45 year old. That's okay. what I, I say. 42 for me, but I could go with 45 pretty easily. That yeah. either, one, either one works. They say everyone has a number because yeah. when you think of yourself, you have to think of yourself as something, and right. that if you're over 50, it's usually 10 years younger. <laughs> Some of well, us, I'm it might be a little bit now. more than 10 years younger. You enjoyed turning your 40s, you say. You accepted your 50s. Maybe you had no choice because in your 50s, you welcomed not one, but two sets of <laughs> twins. And at the same time, you're buying a wheelchair for your mom. And, and you describe this sandwich generation. And it's not that unusual these days. No, there it's was, not. And it's just because we're all living longer. Our parents yeah. are living longer than they ever expected to. My mom used to always say, I'm 92, then I'm 93, then I'm 94. Like, 
what the heck? I never expected to live this long. And when I started doing the research into this, I found a statistic that in 1939 in this country, the average life expectancy was 59 years old. Wow. By 1960 or so, it had gone up to 70. Now it's, you know, what, 81 for something uh, like yeah. women and 75 for men. We statistically live longer than them. Of course, my husband always say, says men die before their wives because they want to. <laughs> well, he's younger than you, right? <laughs> 10 years younger than me. Yeah. So statistically, we are right on par. Okay, good. You know, it's, it's kind of the perfect storm happening. Women are having children later, so their children are still around at the time that their parents are living longer and starting to need care. And it's even happening to kids, kids, kids that are 30s, that are in their 30s. Like, you know, my daughters are in their 30s and they really take care of my ex-husband. You know, my husband now and I, we are very much taking care of his parents. But I mean, when I had the little babes that are now teenagers, I was buying strollers, cars for my teenagers and wheelchairs for my mom. So of course that became a, a chapter title. How much of being diagnosed with breast cancer had an impact on you thinking about your age? Because you went through chemo, surgery, and radiation. How did that impact the thinking of your age? You know, I remember hearing from a lot of people on, fa on Facebook that were saying, you go into cancer treatment one person and you come out another. Mm. And only having experienced that do I realize that all those people were right. As far as cherishing my 60s, I think I've actually really enjoyed this decade. Good. Really, yeah, I really have enjoyed this decade. I am living the life I want to live. I choose everything. Having gone through cancer, I'm left so incredibly grateful. Mm. You know, I find myself sometimes I'll be driving to work and it's a beautiful, beautiful scenery that I drive through. But every now and then I'll notice that I'm saying, wow, look at the way the sun comes through those trees. Mm. And it'll dawn on me that 10 years ago, I never would have said that. Even yeah. 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been noticing something so ordinary and yet so extraordinary and have a thought process of how amazingly beautiful that is. And I think going through cancer, it does leave you so appreciative of life, of each day, of a sunrise, of a sunset, of friendships, of understanding the depth of people's love and affection who took care of you and who were there. It's only through that that you really find that out is through yeah. crisis and going through tough times or fighting a disease. That's like the silver lining. Not that anybody wants to be diagnosed <laughs> with cancer, but that is kind of the silver lining. And you're right. It probably has made this decade of mine much more enjoyable and much more meaningful to me. Sure. I think that 60s is certainly not over the hill anymore. And uh -huh. we have a very different perspective, I think, from our parents who were this age. You <laughs> mentioned you have some kids who are in their 30s. And one of the things that I learned in the book, which I found fascinating, is that our brain starts shrinking yeah. in our 30s. Have you shared that little factoid with your kids who are in their 30s? Well, yes, because they were all pretty much involved in the writing of the book in one way, shape, or form. To if not me just asking them to read the manuscript just one more time. <laughs> uh, Your built-in audience, right? My built-in audience. As I talk about in the book is that even the medical profession, they didn't know 
the medical profession and the scientists out there, the brain experts, everyone thought that your brain started shrinking in your 60s. And they learned that that is completely not the case. Your hippocampus, that part of the brain that is involved in memory, it mm -hmm. starts shrinking in your early 30s, which is why you know so many people have reacted to the title of the book. And I get 30-year-olds who say, that happens to me all the time. I walk into a room, I'm thinking, I know I came in here for a reason. What, what, what was, was it? <laughs> and by the time you're 40, you know, for a woman at least, your estrogen starts to go down. And it doesn't just happen at 50 or 60. It starts happening at some time in your 30s to the point that you are starting perimenopause by the time you're 40 or even earlier. So all these changes start happening to us. And we don't usually think of it as happening in your 30s. But what I also really wanted to learn more about, and I got psyched as I learned more about it, and just was so excited and passionate, as you say, to share it, is what we can do to slow down that brain shrinkage. And you can actually muscle up your brain just like you can you know, build up a muscle. It really has to do with challenging your brain, continuing to challenge your brain, mostly with new things. Learn a new language, learn a new musical instrument, do something that really challenges you. Mm -hmm. I just started doing crossword puzzles. Now you might think, well, those have been around. I don't know why, but I've never done crossword puzzles. Oh, okay. Well, I just started them and I'm really bad at it. I and would think you'd be very good at it, actually. No, and I, I find that I'm bad at it because what is it? It's all total memory, thinking up words that maybe you haven't used in you know, who knows how long. So that to me is a good thing to be doing because you can create new neurons. Now, this is something else that science used to think that we were born with, I don't know, 300 billion neurons or something, and that was it. And over time, they just kind of died away and your brain deteriorated. Then they learned that that's not true. And like not that long ago, in the 1990s or so, they learned that that's not the case, that we can keep creating brain neurons all the time, all throughout our life. So challenging your brain is one way, but those neurons also have to connect right? and become functional. If you exercise cardio, you get blood and nutrients and oxygen going up to your brain. Those neurons, those new neurons are much more adept at connecting to the central system than the other ones that by just challenging your brain. But I'll tell you, as soon as I learned that working out and power walking was mm -hmm. going to keep my brain functioning <laughs> and my you cognitive thinking, it, right? I was like, get my sneakers quick. <laughs> because now it's not just trying to be like, you know, stay in a certain size gene or I know it's for our heart too, but boy, they got me on that brain thing. It's so true. You know, you talk a lot about these signs of aging, but one in particular that I, I think is so interesting about the forgetfulness piece, because you call it CRS, can't remember, shit. <laughs> but this happens to people of every generation, whether you're yeah. in your 20s or your 30s. What do you think the difference is in terms of our perspective of the forgetfulness oh. piece? If you're 20 years old and you walk into a room and you can't remember why you came in there, really doesn't phase you. You don't yeah. think anything of it. I'll tell you, my teenagers, they can't even remember where they put the shoes down on the floor. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> 30 minutes ago, and they could care less. But with each break in age, as you get to be 30 and then 40, you start to ask yourself that question. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh, is this the start of something worse? Is it the start of dementia? 
And the, the fact is, is that it's usually not. This is age appropriate changes in your brain. This is the hippocampus. You know, they say that as it starts to shrink, that by your 30s, it's harder to start learning new things. At the 40s, I mean, they have breaks that are natural occurrences in the brain. But boy, when you walk out of the mall and you look at that sea of cars and you say, where did I park my car? It's like panic. By the way, I have found so many apps. There are tons of apps. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> you can put this little thing in your car and then you hook it to your phone. And when you come out of the mall, it'll direct you right to your car. Oh, that's so funny. Isn't, isn't, <laughs> isn't it wonderful? All the digital it ways. Is, it is wonderful. In your opinion, Joan, what is the secret to aging well, gracefully, and successfully? From the physical standpoint, it's understanding your body, which I, I go into the weeds a little bit in the book, you know, as to what I think really it's that medical background that you came from with your yes. dad. <laughs> you know, I always wanted to be a doctor, but I wanted to explain as I researched things, I then figured out, how do I explain that chapter that I just read three times to get it in a couple paragraphs that are more digestible and easier to read? And that was kind of my goal here. But really, some of the ways to age successfully, besides obviously eating well and getting the exercise, right. are things like staying engaged. They say three things will predict how you age well. Staying engaged, meaning making plans, going places, not retreating, not getting isolated. Number two, social connections. And that doesn't just mean like family members. It means people out there that you know, whether it's in church or your book club or at work or wherever, it's being able to wake up and say, oh man, what am I going to do about this? I'll call so-and-so. You know, it's those connections that keep life kind and palatable. And, and the third thing is having a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to go join some, you know, worldwide feed the children, anything. But I'll tell you, there are people here where I live in Greenwich and I've done some programs over at the Greenwich Hospital, and I see all of these older people that are there working, volunteering. They're the ones that bring you your flowers and your balloons or that wheel you out. And they're so full of life. They're all laughing with each other. And I bet you they wake up every morning, they can't wait to get dressed mm-hmm. and have their breakfast so they can get out and get over to Greenwich Hospital with all their buddies. There's a wonderful at home service, which literally has this, you join it like a club, it's community service, and they have a very abundant number of events on their calendar, and they'll go pick seniors up from their homes and bring them to these events, and they're not anything unusual, it's just that they're getting them together, because as I think you probably read in the book, isolation is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I don't think people realize the impact. And I worry about it right now in this world we're in. And yet, ironically, in these uncertain times, everyone seems to be connecting and learning that you can connect and see each other. I think maybe that's going to be one of the long-lasting good things that comes out of this time. I agree. And and what you're describing, Joan, is people staying engaged and truly living their best life. Yes, they're living their best life. And it certainly seems like you're living your best life right now. I know you've got a big birthday coming up. You've talked about it, which is very exciting. Your new book, bestseller times list book, I should say. Why did I come into this room? 
Everyone can find it on Amazon and on your website, joanlondon.com. They can go to joanlondonbook.com and they can order it right there. And there they'll be hooked up to Premier Books, which is shipping. And I think Barnes and Noble is shipping. JoanLondonBook.com. And I really want to encourage people to check it out, to check out the book because it's fantastic and you have so much information in there. It's incredible. And also, I do want to encourage people to go to your website, Joan, because there's an unbelievable amount of helpful information there and great content as well. It's really done well, beautifully, and you've been such an inspiration for so many people for so many years. I just want to thank you for sharing your story today and I wish you continued good health and happiness along the way. Oh, you too, Liz. And it's a pleasure being here with you. Pleasure to speak with you as well. And I want to thank everybody who's listening in today. May Joan's story guide you to living your best life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.